I'm Paul Sutton, and this is Digital Download, the show where I talk to topic experts on digital marketing, social media, and public relations about the things that matter in today's communications industry. The COVID-19 crisis is the fourth major economic crisis I've witnessed since I started working in marketing communications in 1997. The dot-com bubble burst of 2000 was closely followed by 9-11 in 2001. For both, I was working at an agency specialising in electronic manufacturing, but neither impacted me personally in any great sense. I never felt my job was threatened regardless of how the agency was doing. The global financial crisis of 2008 was a different matter, however. Just a few months previously, I'd set up an e-commerce business, and despite winning plaudits and awards in its first year, it never really stood a chance as households tightened their belts. None of that, however, comes anywhere near what we're witnessing now on either a macro or a micro level. The sheer speed and depth of the impact is what has shocked so many senior communications professionals, and I was keen to explore this in more detail with someone who's experienced what I have, and who also has the resilience to see out of the other side. Today's guest is Maya Pavinska-Sims, a mere editor of Provoke, which was formerly known as The Homes Report. She says she fell into business journalism shortly after leaving university, even though she didn't really know what business journalism was. After spells at the Haymarket publications Print Week and Horticulture Week, she moved on to PR Week in 1999 as feature editor. She says she learned very rapidly what PR was, what a complex industry it is, and how there's no aspect of life that doesn't have a communications aspect to it. She fell in love with it from there, and after a couple of years at PR Week, she spent over 15 years working as a consultant before returning to the journalistic side in early 2018. She says the evolution in the industry over the last 20 years has been huge on so many levels. Coming back to journalism, you know, with a, with a kind of 17-year gap was was really interesting. And first of all, you know, the entire business model has changed because it was all about the weekly print publication and the advertising and with a huge commercial team and a, you know, full features bench, full news desk. Everyone had their own beats and it was... Um, you know, it's exactly how PR is in the movies and <laughs> how journalism is in the movies. Um, and, uh, you know, now we have a much more, you know, everything's much more streamlined. The business model for everyone in publishing has shifted to awards and events um, and is shifting further now, obviously, to, to pivot all that stuff to digital, online, virtual um, webinars, uh, awards and events um, and, and other creative ways of, of um making revenue the reporting has obviously changed it's 24 7 now print uh, especially in trade titles is is hardly anywhere to be seen really so there's a lot more pressure you've got I've gone from a weekly press day in my old incarnation where it was really intense for the day but you broadly had quite a, a nice gentle run-up to that and uh, and now it's just intense the whole time Maya says that working in journalism now is a very different experience, but there's not a day goes past where she doesn't learn or do something new. There's no subs anymore, as you know. So there's no, there's no layout team. There's no sub editors. There's no proofreaders. There's 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 very few layers of getting stuff up and published, which is thrilling but also terrifying at the same time. <laughs> do you think that's given you more freedom in 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 your role now as a result of that? 
I think I probably feel more autonomy, partly just being older and very, very slightly wiser. Um, yeah. I know what a good story is. I know where the missing information is. I know how to, you know, I know how to ask the right questions and I'm, you know, have good relationships with all my contacts in the industry. So it, there is, there's a lot more freedom, but it's, um, there's a lot more responsibility that comes with that, obviously, you know, to get it right, to be accurate, to fact check, to make sure you've got more than two sources saying the same thing if it's not a, you know, not a story that's, that's official. So, yeah, um, yeah I mean, it's, there's, there's, there's more pressure, I would say, in some ways, but it's, it's, you know, great, a great time to be writing about an incredibly vibrant industry. Yeah. And I mean, do you think that, things either from a journalistic point of view or from the industry as a whole have kind of professionalized in the last I don't know decade because I mean I I suppose what prompted that question is I remember starting out and working for an agency at that time and we used to clear off down the pub as you did oh those are the days (laughs) you you wouldn't come back for the rest of the day yeah you know And, and that was not an irregular recurrence either and I mean I think about it, it wasn't so long ago but I mean I know that doesn't happen anymore but I wouldn't say it doesn't happen Paul <laughs> really <laughs> I think everyone, I think I think uh, yeah there's I mean you know there's still there's still a lot plenty of fun to be had but I do think people are a lot more professional most of the time than they used to be <laughs> maybe it's just me then <laughs> so so when it comes to what you're doing now so you've been at provoke for you said two and a half years well so yeah since uh january 2018 yeah okay so what is it that you're kind of getting involved in what is it that's sparking your interest at the moment well, the, the fabulous, one of the many fabulous things that were about working with Paul and Arun, who I uh, have huge amounts of respect for and I'm extremely fond of, um, both as uh, as writers and uh, in terms of the, the sheer volume of stuff in their heads about this industry. What I really love about this job is that there is a lot of autonomy to write about whatever I want to write about. So wherever okay. my interest takes me, you know, I've, I tend to, I really like looking at the, the human aspects of PR and what it means and th- about about the people side of the business. Um, yep. So w- the things I'm interested in, my passions are always able to be reflected in the, in the work I'm doing, whether that's news stories, you know, I, I'm, I'm a bit of a geek on the side. So I really like writing stories about tech and fintech and, you know, all those emerging areas. And I really love writing stories about how um, agency creativity has been absolutely transformed mm-hmm. uh, over the past decade. I love how digital and social has had a huge impact on the industry. So the things I love writing about are the things I write about. I mean, there's there's, there's never a point at which I'm thinking, oh, God, I've got to churn out an analysis about a certain topic because somebody else on the team will be really excited about that and you know they'll go right. on with it so it's 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 a great balance and you said then about the, the people side of things I mean that's obviously come really sharply into focus oh. over the last let's say month since the whole COVID-19 thing sort of kicked off which was middle of March early March well, let's start with you. How have you been dealing with it? Because everyone's dealing with it in a slightly different way. How have you find the experience of lockdown and, and working from home and all, all the rest that's going along with it at the moment? Well, it's kind of weird, Paul, because, you know, we're a very small global team. We're used to working virtually. We used to have a, a 
a once a week audio editorial call and uh, the rest of the week we used to just communicate on Slack. And that was completely normal. You know, we all worked from home. I was always in London a couple of days a week for meetings and lunches and networking stuff and events. And that was all kind of lovely. And now, of course, the kind of leaving home bit of that has been stripped out. And what's been added, which has been really nice, is that we now have really regular whole team video calls. So Mm -hmm. at least twice a week, we're all jumping on a, a call I think I get the best deal because it's always lunchtime UK time, whereas poor Dorothy in San Francisco has always just got up and a re- it's about like midnight for a room <laughs> so, in Hong Kong. So, um, you know, we all muddle we all muddle through depending on what time of day it is for us. But it's actually been really lovely. It feels very much, and I don't know if you know. I suspect lots of agency and in-house teams feel the same. That in a weird kind of way, it's brought us all closer. I think we you know, the, the calls aren't just about work. And uh, I, I'm sure this will resonate with, yeah. with lots of people. The calls aren't just about work. It starts with, how are you today? What's going on? How's the homeschooling doing? Are your parents well? You know, everyone's bringing their dogs and cats to the call. Kids are occasionally <laughs> running in. Sometimes my husband very kindly brings me gin or a cup of tea, depending on what time of day it is. <laughs> From his office, which is, you know, I say office, he's he's got one bedroom and I've got the other bedroom. So um, yeah, yeah. we're muddling on OK. And I, I, actually, it's been from a from a point of view working at Provoke, it's been it's been brilliant. I personally am really, really missing being in London, being with the industry, connecting with the people, you know, many people who I count as genuine friends as well. And I'm just kind of missing human beings and that kind of sense of connection. And Zoom calls are, I mean, you will know this, are absolutely exhausting, like much more exhausting than just going for a coffee or having a meeting. And I saw this tweet from a guy who said he'd asked a psychologist friend of his why Zoom was so draining when you've been sat on it all day. He said yeah. it's it, it was a really interesting point that really made sense is that there's a real cognitive dissonance between a bit of our brain which is saying we're all in the room together and another bit of our brain which is saying we're clearly not so you're picking up on a certain amount of cues are physical cues but not all of them right okay and there's not really direct eye contact and you can't really slightly talk over each other because of the you know the way the the, the platforms yeah. work so so your brain is working overtime to make sense of a really a kind of odd situation where you are and aren't together uh which made perfect sense to me so i'm finding zoom really tiring and i'm really missing i'm really missing people i have to say but you know you know it's temporary right well we're, we'll all be together again soon albeit a distance yeah let's hope so <laughs> with the zoom stuff are, are you doing many of those on, on an average day well, we, I have been doing loads because it's the time of year where we always do our agency of the year review meeting. So as well as agencies submitting uh, an online form saying why they should be shortlisted for one of our agency of the year categories, we also offer them a face-to-face meeting where we just you know, go in, chat for a, an hour or two about how things are going, which works particularly well for the networks where there's a more complex picture across across the, the region, across EMEA, which is the region I cover uh, in particular, but also lots of independence. It's a nice time of year to just kind of regroup, you know, always get great news stories out of it. And of course, all of that has pivoted to to zoom rather than me you know traipsing around mm-hmm. from soho to hoban and over to over to the um south bank as i normally do in a i think last year i covered a ridic- i covered like 
thousands of miles on foot <laughs> just in the kind of the London Triangle and this year it's, it's all been on Zoom so I have been doing loads and loads and loads although this week is blessedly a lot quieter but also the social Zoom calls are fun as well that's a good way of connecting with people and I'm I'm enjoying a couple of those a week. Yeah it's interesting I guess I, maybe I'm a bit um, insulated from this a little bit because I don't have a team working with me, you know, because I'm independent. So I, I'm having the calls, the video calls with clients and potential clients, um, but I'm not having that, uh, the bombardment of, of team stuff as well. So oh. maybe I'm just a bit insulated from it. What I think is interesting is the way that Zoom became has become the, the default for video conferencing. And I mean, I've, I've used it for a long time, but suddenly everyone says, should we do a zoom call yeah and it's almost like you know you you don't talk about let's go and do a a web search you say well let's go and google something and i do wonder whether zoom would just become the default to zoom yeah. means to video call i think it's already become the generic and it's kind of you know and i i'm just i'm on just as many microsoft teams and webex calls as i am mm. zoom calls in reality mm. but it's that's the expression everybody uses already yeah. and that's a month in so that's very interesting from a from a comms point of view from from that company which has had to you know change its its business model incredibly quickly and, uh, and scale, scale up while everyone at zoom is also working at home in california as yeah. well so exactly and i, I mean I, i'm full of admiration for them because i know they came up came out for some quite heavy criticism about uh, you know privacy and and zoom bombing and all sorts of things but like you say they've had to scale so fast mm. and it does appear from the the updates i've been seeing coming through that they've tackled it and and you know good for them i you know full of admiration for that sort of stuff and for anyone else who's done the same thing to be honest yeah me too challenging times for everybody when it comes to how the industry as a whole is coping with COVID-19, Maya is in a position unlike many others. It's one where she has a vantage point across everything. PR has always been a very optimistic industry, especially in the agency side where the blurring of work and home life seems to have been accepted and seen as an opportunity for a bit of light relief at the current time. But Maya isn't completely fooled by the chirpy exterior. I do think there's a lot of pain and anxiety out there as well if I'm totally honest with you I mean mm -hmm. some some calls which are ostensibly about business end up feeling like I'm you know I'm kind of being somebody's therapist for 10 minutes on occasion which is completely fine but it's there's a lot of people really struggling with making particularly agency leaders making really really hard decisions about their people you know there's conversations about hours being cut about furloughs about possible layoffs and this is agencies of all sizes and all structures and all yep. specialisms really although some are much more harder hit than others at the moment obviously and I think it's um yeah people having tough conversations with with clients people having tough conversations uh, with employees and and business partners um and everyone's a bit like, right, we can, you know, let's just get through to Q3, make sure Q4 are in good shape for 2021. But the sense I'm getting is that 2020 is, for most people, I'm not going to say written off, but it's, you know, there's nobody expecting to come out the other side of this feeling like they've had a, a good year, I don't think. No, no. I, I totally agree with you. All the agency leaders I speak to are in exact, well, the vast majority anyway, are in exactly the same mindset where... You're right, it's not writing it off. You've still got to go through and do things. But 
it's a focus on getting out the other side in the best shape, not on trying to make maximum profit. Um, yeah. Which, which I, I mean, I've never experienced this before. I, I, the closest I came, I have come to this in, in 20 years, was around the financial crash mm. of 2008 when I, at that time, had set up a business uh, which was a, a, an e-commerce business and I'd set it up like, maybe six to nine months before mm. and it was just starting to get going and then the, the, the financial crash happened. And and I guess we we muddled through and but you know eventually had to get rid of the business, and that's the closest experience that I've had of anything like this. But even that doesn't really touch what's going on now because it is so so different. I think. Mm. Yeah, it is. It's it's it feels really alien in all ways, and I think part of the reason for that is that it isn't just. I'm gonna put just in in finger quotey air marks, but it's it's not just a financial economic situation it's not just a pandemic it's it's affected every area of our lives and will do for some time because of the economic ramifications of businesses being closed and us not having you know freedom of movement Um, and I think that's the thing that's the layers of coping with this and not just how do I get my business through through an economic depression which is probably coming Mm -hmm. it's that's not the only thing we're worried about we're worried about you know the health of our and survival of our families and friends who are worried yeah. about, uh, you know, the impact of our psychologically of our working remotely, living remotely, and you know, the the concentration of what's going on in our own households, whether we're you know living alone or with with uh, our families, and the layers of it are just so much more complicated than than being able to. You can't even focus on one thing. There's just too much going on. I think to. Yeah for anyone to really process any of that effectively and you know also I mean we've taken the decision we're not going to be covering individual agencies in terms of furloughing and and changing ways of working and and reducing hours partly because that doesn't seem fair because this isn't a business management issue and even when it comes to layoffs if it's one or two then that is not news if it's you know one of the big holding companies or one of the huger independents having to lay off hundreds of people that's obviously news because that will there'll be a trickle down effect from that but there's this isn't about badly managing your business and it's not about one external force it's about a lot you know every aspect of life globally has changed and nobody's ever experienced that we're all just winging it the human impact of the current situation is something that cannot really be underestimated and there are two sides to that There's the huge negative effect on working routines and people losing jobs and the stress of the situation for everyone involved. But there's also arguably some positives with people coming together more and being more compassionate and more down to earth. Could these be permanent changes to the way we do business and could this actually be beneficial to some? Well, look, there's several aspects to this, I think. The first is, I mean, Arun did a great piece on the rise of virtual agencies and how they're probably in a really good position at the moment, regardless of what's going on with their client base because of the uh, lower overheads, the fact it's a very, you know, lean, flat senior team who are all, you know, independent and how there is no real excuse now for clients not to see the value in a virtual team because we're all virtual teams now effectively. So, you know, there are are some agencies and models which will come out of this 
looking much more credible than they have done as well, you know, in independent, more informal networks as well of, of affiliate agencies. That doesn't feel any less safe than working with a an owned network anymore. No. The idea that everyone has to be in the office, the whole notion of presenteeism um, has clearly gone completely out of the window. So, and also the, the, the way that people who are carers, whether of children or parents, or are um, have different needs in terms of their, their own health and um, disability, there is no way that you can now write those people off as not being you know, suitable for working in your, you know, highly intense agency, for example, because that's yeah. how we're all working now. So I think actually it's going to, it's going to help in terms of diversity in the workplace. I think it's going to, nobody's going to accept not having much greater ability to work flexibly. But I think the flip side of that is that, you know, we'll all be desperate to get into the office a couple of days a week just to <laughs> just to hang out and have a coffee, you know, just to grab a coffee together and that kind of those informal conversations. And this is the other thing, go back to Zoom. It's like it's a meeting, it's scheduled. You are on it. Everyone has an agenda to a certain extent past the, you know, the checking in with each other. And then it ends. And it's not the same as wandering past somebody's desk or, you know, just meeting one to one. Uh, and just bouncing off each other. So I think they, in terms of ways of working, I think I think things will be, it'll change exponentially forever, really, for the PR industry. I've seen two very diverse sets of opinions on this, where you've got some people saying that absolutely it will change, and, and I'm talking work in general, mm. where you know, we don't need offices anymore because everyone can work from home. We've proved that. You don't have the overheads, blah, blah, blah. And then you see another side which says that we'll get out of this and people want to work in an office mm. and we will just slip back into the, exactly the same behaviour, largely because leaders will expect their people to be back at their desks and that's just the way their minds work. My own opinion is is kind of what you said. It's, it's a bit between the two in that I, I believe that people will work from home more and they will want to, a set of people anyway, but the offices still hold a big role in exactly oh. what you said in terms of just the social interaction, in terms of you going into the office for a day to have group meetings and, and brainstorms and all that sort of stuff, which don't work on a, on a video call. They just don't. So, you know, you've got that side of it. I I kind of believe that, I don't know, maybe this is wishful thinking, but the, the pointless meetings will die out. I mean... Oh, God, I do hope so. <laughs> again, this is something I, I'm sheltered from now because I've been independent for five years. But going back to agency life, the number of pointless meetings I sat through used to do my head in. But may, maybe that'll be a benefit that comes out of this side. I mean, it's, it's difficult to say, isn't it? And I know we're speculating, but... How much do you think this this will really change the face of the industry and office work? And uh, do you do you believe, for example, that you were talking about virtual agency models? Yeah. Do you think that more conventional, larger agency models could suffer as a result of what is happening now? Are they going to have to up the game and I don't know reinvent themselves? How far does it go? Well, there's been discussion about whether the traditional agency model has been working for for some time now, and there's yeah. there's certainly not haven't been seeing the kind of margins or fee income growth over the past few years 
as they once did. So that's been a, you know, that that particular kind of slightly unwieldy end of the of the industry with lots of dots on maps that can truly cover every single aspect of comms for any client anywhere in the world has huge you know benefits um but also um the downside of that is that they haven't been necessarily particularly agile or fleet of foot and have massive overheads obviously so yeah and lots of layers of, of hierarchy so I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's going to be a definitely a, a slice of the industry to watch very carefully how they respond to this. I mean, all the holding groups have already warned of layoffs. So I think they're going to be the first bit of the industry to be the hardest hit because there's not necessarily cash in the bank. They are answer, they have been answering to shareholders um, for, for a long time. And um, they can be, as I said, a bit bit unwieldy but that's you know if you're Unilevers and the PNGs of this world which have similar structures that those agencies and holding groups are having to respond to what what their biggest clients want who hire them across all you know marketing and advertising disciplines not just PR so that's going to be very interesting to see how that plays out as budgets shift within client companies as well due to the crisis I think if you're at the smaller end, you've got, you know, more pressing concerns. I mean, it also depends what what ratio of project to retainer clients you've got. It depends what industry sector you're in, what shape the business will end up in as to, you know, how lean and how flexible you're going to end up at the end of this. But I think it's really, bottom line is it's opened everyone's eyes to the fact that we can work differently and how important employee communications as a particular comms discipline is now for all businesses as well. You know, comms is that there is no aspect of the COVID-19 crisis which doesn't include a communications angle, whether that's public affairs and political comms, uh, whether it's healthcare and pharma talking about their role in this, whether it's public sector, you know, the NHS the NHS and the really core messaging coming out of government um, and the health services, uh, whether it's brands trying to work out how to best and most appropriately communicate, uh, you know, during a time where they can't really sell and aren't really open, but can't lose those connections with their consumers. You know, it's about technology brands and many B2B uh, well, formerly B two B. I mean, Zoom, Zoom was an internal comms tool, wasn't it? And that, yeah, yeah. and now that's you know having to be B two C as well. You know, the way that tech is is changing, it, it, tech is enabling us to do uh, the the new type of work we're doing in the world. So that there is there is so much to say and so much to do from a from a comms and PR point of view. It's just whether the money is there to get the work done. I mean, obviously, big brand activations and events and sponsorships, you know, that's all really changed this year. So, um, you know, we'll see. I think it will It will really depend on a case-by-case basis. I think everybody's going to take a hit, but it will largely depend on, on what shape your business was in and who you're working with and for when you went into it, I think. Before we finish talking, I asked Myra a question that's difficult to answer because of the context in which I posed it. I asked her to try and put aside the devastating human cost of the COVID crisis, as well as the economic impact. Now, that's not easy to do, I know. But in the long term, could this crisis actually be beneficial for the industry? Uh, Yes, is my answer to that. I do think it's going to be a real pivotal point 
for the communications industry. Partly, you know, it's it's put comms front and centre. It, it can't be on the sidelines anymore when it's not appropriate to be using traditional advertising and marketing techniques, but you do still have to look after your reputation and your relationships with all your stakeholders. There's only one place for, for companies to put their money at the moment. And I think I, I think having that opportunity to show how, how critical a strategic business function comms is, whatever type of brand or business you are, will be advantageous in the long term to the industry. It's not an industry that's had necessarily taken advantage of the huge um, impact of digital, social, and and being at the core of creative ideas as it as, as it may have done. I mean, I would have liked yeah. to. I, I think PR should have been ahead of the curve in terms of marketing disciplines and budgets a few years ago. Now, I totally dig- agree. Digital and social, and that's been a little bit frustrating. And there's obviously agencies doing that stuff brilliantly, but are making plenty of cash out of it. But the industry as a whole has has not necessarily taken advantage of that. I think the difference here is that we're we're all being forced to understand how critical internal and external comms are in terms of mm-hmm. their strategic business value um in, ter- in terms of reputation in terms of staying connected at a time when you cannot sell so uh, yeah i think in the in the long term the industry that survives this will be be stronger smarter leaner more agile more creative than ever and I think it will probably bounce back a lot quicker as well than the many other disciplines because of how quickly it can move and how quickly it's shown it can move now. You can find Maya on Twitter as Sparkly Pinchy. You can subscribe to Digital Download on iTunes, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like the show, please do leave a review as this helps others discover the podcast. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next time.